0: Morning, everyone. I'm going to be speaking this morning about a superpower, which I'm going to get to in a moment. Can you hear me? Superpower. Yeah? Got me? Yeah. We're in in, in a series called Seed and Salt. The idea of Seed and Salt came from the Great Commandment, um, the Great Commission. Oh, goodness. The Great Commission. I so feel your pain, Rob. Uh, Paul, it's usually me. Um, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, where Jesus commands his disciples and says, Go into all the world and make disciples. And, and actually, that, that word go is in the middle voice, it means in your going. In your going, make disciples. So I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about gratitude in the context of going. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, I um, I actually prepared this sermon for a different context at a different time. And, and as I was reading it in preparation for this morning, I was struck so profoundly, so deeply by how much I needed to read this. That this is primarily for me, and the rest of you are a bonus. <laughs> That's a true story. See, um, gratitude is such a funny thing. Have you ever those of you who who drive a vehicle, enter the, been in a a traffic circle and you've let somebody in when it's not their turn and you don't even get a hand saying thank you or a little flicker of the light's nothing and you you feel this deep sense of irritation. You experience that, just me? Yeah, you feel it? No, no, part of that, I think, is, is, is ego I'm sure, pride, but part of it is because hardwired into our beings, into our deepest, truest selves, into the, into the core of our soul is an understanding on an unspoken level that the appropriate response to an unwarranted act of kindness is gratitude. We know this as, as, like, as, as a deep truth. Why? Why do you think that we are hardwired to understand how important gratitude is. You see, the the guy who entered the circle in front of us is not our friend. You don't know that person. He owes us nothing. So why is, is that person's ungratitude, ingratitude, lack of gratitude, so profoundly offensive to us? Well, this morning we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 17, I ask you to turn there if you have your Bibles, and we're going to look at why gratitude is such a big deal. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 17, verse 11 to 19, quite a well-known story. I'm hoping to look at it through a slightly different lens this morning. On the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village... He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. If if you have your Bible and you write in your Bible, which you should, highlight the next line. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed... Underline that word, healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell at his face, on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? I'll Highlight that word cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Made you well underlined. So I'm going to look at three ideas, three contexts in that text. We're going to look at what it means to be cleansed, what it means to be healed, and what it means that your faith has made you well. I'm going to pick up those themes in a moment. Now, there's quite a lot to unpack here. The first is leprosy. Um, for those of you who are not cultural aficionados, I was quoting Ice Age. You hurt me, buddy. You hurt me. Leprosy um, in the Bible is a much wider concept than the very narrow medical concept that we have today. It covered a range of, of diseases and maladies. Um, typically, we associate it with, with the disease that would cause you to, to potentially become disfigured and lose parts of your limbs, if not your limbs themselves. So, that's included in the wide range of conditions covered by leprosy in the Bible. In terms of the law of Moses, there were a range of consequences for having leprosy, both religious and social. And we're going to look at that in a moment. With the benefit of hindsight, with with more than 2,000 years of, of medical technology and advancement, We can now recognize that many of those measures which are mentioned in the Bible are actually wise quarantine measures. But there's more to it than simply medical quarantine, as we'll see in a moment. I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 5. This is Moses speaking. Command the people of Israel, or rather Moses recording. Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or who has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put them out, both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile the camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so, and they put them outside the camp, as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. So we can see from this Numbers text that the consequences are not only physical. There's, there's a spiritual component to leprosy, which doesn't sound right. It seems odd. But, but the, the text says... The leprous must go outside the camp because they mustn't contaminate, defile the community, the place where I dwell. There's something about leprosy or or those who have discharged or have touched the dead that doesn't line up with the holiness of God. And that's because... In in the the idea of holiness, and I know we've done a whole series on this, but I'll just remind us, there's this idea of kadosh. Holiness includes wholeness. So that which is not whole is not holy in the context of that Numbers verse. But even then, even under the law, separation due to uncleanness or, or a lack of wholeness was not permanent. Even the law made a way back for those who were unclean, those who were separated because of their condition, to come back into the community of God where God dwelled. We'll pick it up in, in Leviticus chapter 14. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, there shall be a law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. So what that means is somebody who was leprous, who was separated for the period of time that the law required, who then was healed or or, or became whole again, became uh, no longer infectious, the priest would leave the dwelling place of of the city of Jerusalem or of the, the gathering of Israel, would leave their place where God dwelt, would go outside the camp to where the lepers were, Will inspect the leper and then proclaim them clean, if they were clean, just like Jesus. Jesus was, was, in many respects, a high priest, and he went outside of the camp because he died outside of the city limits, and, and that's where he pronounced us clean through his death and resurrection. So, I, I digress, I'm going to get back to Luke now from verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. So the the context is quite important, the physical context is important. Samaria was a region where the Samaritans lived, strangely enough, and the Samaritans were a group of people who through intermarriage with, with Jewish people, which was Gentiles and Jews, had had kind of a kind of a hybridised form of Judaism. It wasn't regarded as pure Judaism. That incorporated a whole lot of beliefs that came from from um, Gentile nations and mixed it with Judaism and the, the the Jewish people would have regarded that form of religion and those people as not pure. So you have the Samaritans, then you have Galilee. Galilee is known as Galilee of the Gentiles, that's where Gentile people outside of the community of God lived. So to be a Samaritan, leper, was to be twice removed from the people of God. You were removed from the from the community of God because you were a leper, but then you were also removed because you were a Samaritan. So there were there were two layers of rejection from the people of God if you're a Samaritan leper these people who called out to Jesus were double banished they're in a desperate state and yet there was something in them there was something in them that recognized that perhaps this Jesus was the long awaited messiah and perhaps this Jesus who proclaimed freedom to the captives perhaps this Jesus could heal them and and in keeping with the tradition <clears throat> From a long distance away, they called to Jesus. They didn't run after him, because they'd have made him unclean. And, and something very strange happens in this text. You see, if Jesus is the priest king, who is the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, and he looked upon someone who was leprous, he would have declared that they were unclean and couldn't come back into community. Right? That's, what, that's his function, that's his job. But he does something very different in the text, and we're going to look at it. When he saw them, like the priest was required in Leviticus to go outside the camp and see, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I say it's unexpected because not to put too fine a point in it. He was declaring somebody cleansed who wasn't cleansed. All ten of them still had leprosy. So it's a strange thing for him to say, go to the priests to inspect you, to see if you're clean. I can imagine if if I was in the sandals of the Samaritan lepers, if I was in their sandals, I'd think to myself, hey, maybe Jesus needs healing. There's something wrong with his eyes. I can imagine them muttering darkly. Why doesn't he go and present himself to the priest? Because clearly, there's something wrong with the way he sees. And yet, and yet, at the command of Jesus, they go in faith. And as they go, they're healed. You see, there's there's a point here. We think, we think, I can fulfill the calling of God when this happens, or that happens, or the next thing happens. When I finally overcome this, when I don't have to worry about this, when, whatever it is, I don't care, fill in the blank. But the point is, as they went, they were healed. And, and that's, that's the gospel. Jesus commands at the end of Matthew, in your going, make disciples. So we don't we don 't arrive first and then go, no, 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 we go, we go and it 's in, in our healing, in our cleansing, in our restoration to wholeness and holiness that discipleship is possible interesting. Uh, One of the translations of the word, went, as they went, one of the translations there is, um, it's in the middle voice, so it's, it's continuous, it says, to lead yourself. As they led themselves, they were healed. Yeah? As they took responsibility for their own condition, their own actions, their own thoughts. As they as they said, I haven't got the whole picture. I don't really understand this dude Jesus is, is 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 smoking something funny, but but I believe him and I'm gonna go. And as they went they were healed. I have a good friend Brad, who's an ultramarathon runner. <clears throat> he he runs these insane um, trail runs, like 150 kilometers over mountains. If, if you see me, don't be fooled by my svelte figure. If you see me running up a mountain, you better know that there's something unpleasant behind me and you better run too. <laughs> That's a true story. So I say to my mate Brad, who, who, who has suffered from a, a severe, severe immune-compromised condition, um, for decades. And sometimes it's hard for him to breathe and sometimes it's hard for him to walk up steps. And he gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning in Cape Town, for goodness sakes, in the middle of winter in complete pitch darkness and runs for 50 k's over the mountains. So I say to him, why? <laughs> Don't you have a car? And isn't that hard? He says, well, the hardest thing, Raymond, the hardest thing like going for a run at 3 o'clock in the morning when it's cold and wet and dark and windy, because it's always windy in Cape Town, is to get your feet to hit the floor. After that, everything's easy. So, so as they went, as they got their feet to hit the floor, as they led themselves, as they got up, and said, I'm not going to be bound by the limitations of my physical condition, my spiritual condition. I'm not going to be bound by those limitations. I'm going to step out and I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to go to the priests, even though nothing makes sense to me. In their going, they were healed. In fact, the word is cleansed, it's the uh, Greek word katharizo where you get Catherine from, means to make pure, means to heal. In the Strong's definition it says, with reference to a leper, to cleanse by curing, to remove by cleansing. It also means to be pronounced clean in the Levitical sense. So, So, as they went, they they found themselves in the condition where a priest inspecting them would have found them to be clean. As they went, God did something to them and they were healed. And this is what it says. Then one of them, one out of ten, ten percent, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, so as they went, they were cleansed, they were catharizo, they were um, They were found to be in a condition where a priest would call them clean. One of them, when he saw that he was healed or cured, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He turned around. It's such an interesting thing. I I always put myself in in the sandals of the people who are in the story and think, what did that look like? So one guy, walking with his nine mates, they realize, hang on a second, we're cleansed. Now we can actually appear in front of the priests and he can declare that we're clean and we can get back into community. That's a big moment. One guy says, hang on a second, I'm going to go back. I know Jesus told me to do this. i have going to go back because I need to have a word with Jesus about the fact that I'm healed. There's something I need to say to him. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Something took precedence over over even presenting himself to to the priests, to be declared king, uh, to be declared clean, so that he could come back into community. One thing took precedence, and that that thing was gratitude. He wanted to go and say thank you to Jesus for what had happened to him. One out of ten. One out of ten. I was thinking about the subject of gratitude recently, while I was driving. I was actually dropping Joel off at at youth. It was a few months ago. And um, it was at the time where we desperately needed rain. I-, I know it's difficult to believe that we were ever in that situation, but it was a few months ago. I know 2022 seems like a barren wasteland of apocalyptic events, but a-, a while ago we needed rain. It was dry. And it was raining heavily. It was a Friday afternoon. I had a six o'clock Zoom call with two clients, one in Joburg, one in Cape Town, and it was an urgent urgent meeting I had, to, I had to attend. So I dropped Joel off, and what is usually a 20-minute drive turned into a one-hour and 20-minute drive, because people in Durban lose the ability to drive like same human beings when there's a bit of rain. Yes? And here there was a lot of rain. And, and I was driving on, on Kenneth Coinda, or Northway, and, and it was insane. There was, there was an accident, and, and there were minibuses coming up on the inside. There was a, a big bus overtook me on the inside at high speed. I was like, somebody's going to die. And I could feel the red mist coming down. You know, when, when you're trying to be lawful and stay in your lane, and people are flying past you and, and trying to push in, and, and you get to that part where I'm saying unkind things about their goats... And 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 there's anything but gratitude welling up in your heart, you know, and, and stuff stuff passes your lips that you probably wouldn't say in polite company. So I started thinking about hang on a second. What if, what if what if I put into practice the stuff I've been reading about in Luke and decided to be thankful? What if that happened? So I, I started saying thank you. I said, Thank you, Jesus, for the rain. We need the rain. Thank you, Jesus, that my car is moving. Slowly, but moving. Thank you, Jesus, that I haven't been involved in an accident. Because there are accidents around us, and there are more if people keep driving like idiots. So I started expressing gratitude, and and as I did that, this calm came over me. And and I started to feel the red mist lift. I felt less like, like the Incredible Hulk or the mediocre hulk in my part, in my instance. And I came to a red light, and, and I was in that state of, of um, peace where I was ready to hug an acacia. I was there. And, and the light turned green in my favor, and I slowly entered the intersection, and somebody went through a red light in front of me, and I T-boned their car. I was like, no, man, you've got to be kidding. I'm late already. Started getting missed calls from my client sorting out the details, and I I got back into my car, and I was driving along, and I was like, hey, hey, I was doing the thing, I was being grateful. (laughs) Look, 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 I was being grateful, now what happened? I'm going to be late, my car's crashed, I've got to fill in insurance, admin makes my eyes bleed, this is terrible. I was like, isn't gratitude supposed to be working in your favor, right? And then I had this thought. You know that still small voice? I heard this. If you'd entered your intersection in that agitated and rushed state, you'd have got in fast and that car would have hit me on the right side. And I wouldn't be grumpy because the front of my car is a little bit bent. I'd be in a completely different condition. Maybe having that word with Jesus in person. Who knows? (laughs) So... So even in the natural, which is a shadow of the supernatural, even in the natural, gratitude can have consequences. And I must say, after that, I was ready to hug occasions again. I was like, bring forth the trees that I may hug them. So People speak about developing an attitude of gratitude. Now, apart from having a pleasing kind of catchy rhyme to that, there's, there's some power in that. It's actually a bit of a superpower. Because when, when you are in an attitude of gratitude, it's very difficult not to feel like a motivation speaker when I say that, but when, you, when you're in an attitude of gratitude, your experience of the world is completely different. Do you have a... Fr- I know that you know someone, and I'm about to say something, and you're going to think of someone. Have you ever been around somebody who has this incredible ability to find a dark cloud to every silver lining? You're thinking of someone, right? How much fun is it around to be those people? No, it's terrible to be around those people. Energy vampires, they're awful. They suck the life out of you. It's terrible. Why? Because it's ingratitude. Like there's always something to be grateful for. Um, and what happens is, when, if we live in an attitude of a lack of gratitude, then everything is dark, and in the movie that plays in your head, you're always in the role of the victim. I, uh, I ride a mountain, well, I haven't for a while, but I ride a mountain bike on, on trails, and there's a fascinating thing about riding a mountain bike or a dirt bike of any description, is if you look in front of the tire, which is the part that interests you most, because if the tire hits something, you fall. If you look directly in front of the the tire, and if you look at the obstacles around you as you're riding, there's an effect called the magic elastic, and it, it draws you like a magic elastic to that obstacle, and you hit it. Every time. Because what you focus on you will hit. What you focus on, you will travel towards. That's the way we're built. So, so, if you focus on the obstacles, if you focus on the stuff that is making you grumpy, then that's all you will experience. If we focus on the path, on the way, the truth, and the life, on Jesus, the one who's above every obstacle, then that's what we'll find. People I've read, who see the hand of God in everything, will see the hand of God in everything. See, I, I've discovered that, that riding a mountain bike is a supernatural experience for me because when I lift my eyes and I look not at the ground immediately in front of me, but where the path is leading up ahead, my body and my bike get there. It's like magic. And that's, I think, one of the best analogies of faith I've ever seen, is actually you've got to lift your head above the circumstances, you've got to look to where the path is going, and your body and your heart get there. That's faith. I've got a trick question for you. Half full or half empty? What do you say? Half full. half full. Any physicists among us? It's completely full. This is completely full. This, this half is water and this half is gas. Just because you don't, can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And if I shake it, the more the gas gets diffused into the water. See, we, when you look at all, if all that you look at is the natural state of things, the physical, that's all you're going to see. The right. Bible says that, that those who, who are in the spirit are like the wind. You don't really know what's going to happen next because there's a whole supernatural reality that we can't see, but it's no, it's no less real than the air in this bottle. And, and the more we realize that, and the more God shakes stuff up, the more the supernatural becomes diffused into the real, into the natural. Everything's real, because everything's spiritual, one level or another. <laughs> see, when God shakes stuff up, there's always more happening than what we can see. You can't see gravity but I invite you to jump off a mountain and see if it's real. <laughs> Please don't do that. But it is real. And there's a supernatural dimension to gratitude that has an effect in the supernatural. It has an effect in the natural, but it has an effect in the supernatural as well. When I think of gratitude, I think of the story of Corrie ten Boom, who is who was a Dutch uh, lady who, with her, her sister was imprisoned in Auschwitz in the Second World War because the, her family hid Jewish people from the Nazis in Holland. And she, she was sitting with her, do- her sister one day and her sister said, her sister died in Auschwitz. Her sister said, the Bible says we must give thanks in all things, so we need to give thanks for the fleas. Because they were co- covered in fleas. It was like like, like, a, like socks. They were covered in fleas. And Corrie ten Boom, the, the Dutch are known to be very direct and straightforward people, said something to the Dutch equivalent of, are you nuts? The fleas are terrible. They bite us and they itch, and, and it, it's just terrible. And she said, no, the Bible says we must give thanks for all things. We're going to give thanks to the fleas, which they did. Only later did they realize that the flea infestation on her sister and those who shared in their um, prayer time together was so great that the, the, the gods didn't want to come anywhere near them to disturb them. The fleas kept them away. Interesting. There's, a, there's another story of the Gulag. Gulag is, is a Russian camp, uh, prison camp in Siberia, it was incredibly cold, terrible conditions, many people died. There was a father, um, Olofsson, who was imprisoned for his faith in, in the Gulag, and he and his uh, fellow prisoners had a game, like a, a gratitude Olympics almost, where, where they competed to find things to be grateful for during the day. And whoever won the rest of them had to serenade that person with their, his favorite song. Every evening. And the guy who won the one day found 17 things in the gulag to be grateful for. 17. And he said this, I was so focused on finding things to be grateful for, I forgot about the difficult conditions we were facing. And, and when he says difficult conditions, that's difficult at the level of me saying, well, the sea is wet and big. These were <laughs> these were. These were life-ending conditions, and he found 17 things to be grateful for. What are, we great, what are we finding in our lives that are, look, 2022 has been something apocalyptic, but even in that, surely there are things we can find things to be grateful for in God. And it transforms our, our experience of those things. Finally, back to Luke. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Depends how you read it. I don't think that's how he said it, but except this foreigner. And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's fascinating. The made you well. There is not the word, the Greek word that's been used in previous occasions, Katharizo to cleanse, uh, aganamai to heal. It's the word sozo. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has sozoed you. Now, now there are instances in the Bible, and I'm going to read two where sozo simply means to make physically well. I'm going to read two examples, both in Luke. Um, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came this is the woman who took hold of the garment of Jesus and was healed she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him and how she'd been immediately healed and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well, your faith has sozoed you, go in peace so that was a woman with an issue of blood and God healed her, he brought sozo, wholeness, to her through Jesus in Luke 18 A man approaches Jesus. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and following him glorifying God. And all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. That's in Luke 18. So in both of those instances, sozo means physical healing. But it doesn't only mean that. It can mean something else as well. It can mean salvation. I'm going to read a text in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner, as if he wasn't." And Jesus answering and said, "Simon, I have something to say to you." And he answered, "Say it, teacher." A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt, and he said, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? The point was he didn't see the woman. He said, do you see this woman? Anyway, I don't want to have another preach. That's a different story. I entered this, her house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. All of these were basics. Basic hospitality, and he'd done none of it. Um, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, "Your sins are forgiven." Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, "Who is this who even forgives sins?" And he said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you; so you. Go in peace." In this story, Jesus links gratitude to love. He says those the one who has forgiven much loves much has the greatest amount of gratitude. See, see when, we're, when we're in sin it is incredibly difficult to us, for us to conceive that God loves us or that he's for us but this woman who was in sin realized that she got that Jesus was able to heal her of her sins to forgive her and that that knowledge saved her, and her response was gratitude. And gratitude... Gratitude is not just thank you. Gratitude sometimes, usually looks like something. For, for, this, for this lady, gratitude looked like defying all the social norms... lay down the glory of her hair, which was her glory, at the feet of the one who was the source of all glory. Gratitude looked like facing shame and facing the judgment and facing the condemnation of those around her because she did not care as much about their opinion as she did about his. Gratitude looks like nothing counts but Jesus. Gratitude looks like Whatever it takes, I'll do it. Gratitude looks like I'll take perfume worth a year's salary and pour it out on Jesus. We don't know what Simon did after this in, in the moments following this conversation, but the story of this woman and her jar of <coughs> alabaster her alabaster jar of ointment and what she did in worship to Jesus preparing his body what, what she did has been spoken of countless thousands of times in countless thousands of meetings in countless encounters between believers who needed to know something about the goodness of God anyway So, the Samaritan leper, back to Luke. The Samaritan leper, Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Now, was he talking about salvation? I think so, probably, because we're saved by faith, right? But there's an alternate meaning. I can't say it with certainty, but I like it. Your faith has made you whole. I wonder whether this wasn't a leper who regained some missing bits. I wonder whether he didn't regain a hand or a foot or a finger because Jesus made him whole. I wonder whether nine lepers went on their way completely healed in that they were no longer leprous, but they weren't whole. And one Got his fingers back. I wonder. I don't know. I'd like to think so. Part of our journey to wholeness, because we're all on that journey, is to see the world as it truly is, to see it through the lens of gratitude. How many of us have missing bits like the lepers? How many of us do have, have areas of our lives that, that separate us from the community of God in our hearts and minds anyway, that separate us from the purpose of God where we feel like the bit's missing? We have a moment this morning where God says, in your gratitude and in your going, I will heal you. In your gratitude and in your going, I will restore you. In your gratitude and in your going, you will make disciples of all the nations. I'm going to give people an opportunity. You don't have to come to the front. But I'm going to to spend a few moments to create the space where you can have your face-to-face with Jesus... And invite them into your life to heal the bits that you hide from the rest of the world. To heal those parts that make you feel unclean. To heal those parts that make you feel like there's something missing. And in gratitude, I believe God will heal you. I was driving to church this morning. I don't often listen to worship music. Um... Just because it distracts me while I'm driving. And and I was listening to The Blessing by Carrie Job this morning. And they got to the part where where she was saying, God is for you. I was thinking, Sometimes that's so hard to believe, but but when we get it, God is for you. Because He is. I was undone, I was weeping and like trying not to crash. It's It's such a profound truth because the lie in the Garden of Eden was that God doesn't care, and he does. That was the lie. Let's pray. Jesus, there's not one of us who doesn't have some part of our life that isn't incomplete in some way. There's not one of us who doesn't struggle with something at some time. There's not one of us who doesn't need your healing hand on us. We present ourselves this morning to the high priest, to you, Jesus. And we declare in this moment our profound gratitude. For who you are and what you've done for us. It's gonna give you some moments, a few seconds to just have that conversation with Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that it is you that makes us whole. It is you who sends us out to be salt and light. It is you who makes us seeds that when we die, we grow and others may live. We pray this morning as we're reminded of your kindness, of your goodness. Of how you are for us. We thank you. For your gracious hand. When life is hard. When people die. When illness prevails. When circumstances are so tough. In all these things. You are still good. And you are still God. And your kindness overwhelms us. Thank you for your light, thank you for your love, and we pray, God, as we go into this week, that we would go bearing you with our eyes on the path and our hearts fully yours, in Jesus' name. Amen.